Welcome, everybody, to Drive to Win. It's a brand new podcast all about the Formula One lifestyle right here from the Win in Las Vegas. I'm Justin Bell. I'll be your host for the, well, for the next few months until the end of the season. Uh, and of course, it's all about Formula One here in Las Vegas. And we're going to kick it off with a, a show that I think is pretty cool. We've got McLaren boss, Zach Brown on, and then ex-Formula One driver, Stephanie Hansen, really bringing the show coming together. Uh, but before we do, a little bit about me. Uh, I am a second-generation race car driver. My father, Derek Bell, uh, actually raced for Ferrari in Formula One back in the early 70s, went on to win Le Mans five times. That inspired me to get involved. Uh, I went on to race, as you can see, at beautiful Harris McLaren. We finished third at Le Mans on Father's Day uh, in 1995. That was a big part of my career. I also went on as part of the Dodge Viper program to win the 1997 FIA GT2 World Championship and then, of course, the 1998 Le Mans 24 Hours. I've stayed in the sport since then. It's a huge part of my life. I understand it. I live it. I breathe it. And for the past 15 years, I've been a big part of the TV broadcast world here in the United States, uh, working not just for Speed Channel at the time and then Fox Sports. And, and then I got into the podcast and broadcast world myself, which led me right to this path here. Uh, the philosophy for the show is pretty simple. The Win have an enormous investment and a passion for all things automotive and racing. If you walk anywhere in this casino, you can see the latest, latest Koenigsegg. You can see right next door to me two former Formula One McLarens. Every part of this property has got some sort of motorsport angle as they gear up for the race, the 22nd Grand Prix of the season later in the year. Uh, the concept for the show really was we have that amazing event to, to hold on to, to look forward to, but how are we going to get there with the passion, enthusiasm, this explosion of interest and all things uh, Formula One through the Drive to Survive phenomenon I think everything here in America is about the entertainment of this sport, the, the personalities of the driver, the, the brilliance of the show. It is one of the most sexy sports globally. And now you have three races here in, in the United States. So 2023 is really promising to be the biggest Formula One season in history with a record number 23 races, the 22nd being here right in Las Vegas. And what a year it has been so far. Now, I was intending to start today's show uh, reflecting on what would have been the Italian Grand Prix at Imola, but it's been widely publicized, and we'll get into it a little bit later. They had a tragedy, really, in the region uh, around the racetrack. It was a, a pretty much a disaster ecologically and uh, economically, and Formula One made exactly the right decision early enough not to go there because... Believe me, when Ferrari comes into town, it's not just thousands, tens of thousands of people working in the industry. It's also the supporting uh, industry around it. And then, of course, 150,000 rabid fans descending on would have put too much of a pressure on the local environment. So the right decision was made, although uh, to our loss as, as viewers. So I thought I'd, I'd do a quick uh, you know, reflection on the season so far. Obviously, coming into this year, such a scene of Red Bull dominance, which has continued. Uh, as we sit, every race so far, really, Red Bull have been the leading story. And you've got the, the outrageous, behind-the-wheel, flamboyant talent of Max Verstappen. And it, you, you see what he's doing with the car, and you see the way Christian Horner and the Red Bull team uh, have really been, you know, pushing that, him as, as their progeny. But... You know, you've got uh, Perez, who's right there, and he has shown it by winning races, two races, that he is an equal talent. And I think that's really going to be the theme of the year and one that we're really going to follow. And, and some of our guests are going to be able to shed a lot of light into because these are young, super talented, super hungry drivers that are sporting athletes that have all had their own path to the top, the pinnacle of the sport. And... They want to beat each other more than you can even imagine. But sometimes the guy they want to beat is also sharing a motorhome with them, sharing a debrief with them. So it is something remarkable. It's a unique dynamic to motorsports when you can have two of the world's top drivers in basically the same race suit with equal equipment. And I think you're going to start to see 
a little bit of, uh, in my opinion, you're going to start to see some a little uh, some unusual dynamics between Verstappen and Perez because Verstappen is, you know, a god behind the wheel, but Perez uh, rightly so thinks he is too. Um, so driver pairings as vibrant as, as I can remember. Now, something that's made us very excited as fans, and I know anyone that's followed uh, the the social media and Formula One is a, is a huge part of of this movement is seeing Fernando Alonso in his new rider Aston Martin just and he's been on the podium all the way through the beginning of the season and just to see the joy and vibrancy and passion and renewed enthusiasm he'll say it never went away but only when you get a car and he's saying that his current car is as good as anything and as fast as anything he's ever had in Formula One and after such a long career I think we're going to see not just the podiums but you could see a win come up Fernando uh, this year now of course you know Ferrari who doesn't love Ferrari we're going to talk to Stefan a bit about Ferrari and what it means later but my father raced for Ferrari I remember that and I remember when I was 16 years old I met Enzo Ferrari and to me it was like meeting the Pope it was perhaps the most meaningful, significant, emotional moment of my life, meeting someone who was such an icon and he passed away only about a year later. But that was firmly seared in my life, uh, in my mind. And just being there, so I have this sort of family attachment to Ferrari, but they, you can see some pace. Uh, Charles Leclerc is right out there in qualifying. He has the ability to get the car around one lap. Last year, Ferrari continually made bad calls. They had bad luck, bad calls, and some bad driver errors. And it really did cost them that shot. Even though they were, you know, leading the championship for a while last year, they had a shot at maintaining it. And the pressure, I think, was too much. This year, they're a little bit behind where they should be, but around one lap. And I think we're going to see it this weekend in Monaco. Uh, Charles Leclerc is probably the fastest man in Formula One. And Carlos Sainz, uh, I'm a big fan of his. I, I think he... I felt he a little underrated at times during his career, but right now, I think we're seeing him at his best. But of course, as a Brit, Lewis Hamilton, he's the guy. Uh, George Russell is right there with him. Lewis is, quite honestly, one of the titans behind the wheel that we've ever seen. Uh, uh, the sort of talent that comes along only once in a generation. Uh, we're lucky enough in Formula One to have a few of those guys right now, but make no bones about it. Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton and George Russell will get back up to the top. They keep nudging their way there. They're, I mean, George is fourth in the championship, which is incredible, ahead of Lewis. And remember what I'm saying, psychology of drivers will emerge as the season goes along. And some, while they're fast behind the wheel, just the sheer youth that they have, I think a lot gets to do with the way they were brought up, the way that the family structure they have, their resilience, because when you're up against your main rival, who is in the same motorhome as you, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, is uh, it's a tough one. So let's see who will be the smartest and the the strongest there. But the rest is really the best of the rest, and we uh, we have just some incredible teams out there: Alpha Tori, Haas, Alpha. Obviously, they. It's not about money. It's about re- it's not about resources. They they all have such passion. Every single member of those teams wants to go on and and get their guys to the front. And that's one of the things we will dive into a little bit later during the season is maybe talking to some of the lead mechanics because I'll tell you those guys while the drivers go home for dinner and, and you know with their beautiful partners, uh, the mechanics are there all night, especially if a mistake was made. And uh, these those guys to me are the rock stars, the unseen rock stars of the paddock. But there are two names, and I talk about it, uh, you know, I want to talk about it a bit later, uh, hopefully with Zach, is racing is a roller coaster, and everyone, only there can only be one winner, but even some of the biggest teams, some of the biggest brands in motorsport, and I'm talking about Williams and McLaren, are languishing towards the middle, towards the back of the Formula One grid right now. How? And why? That is a question that, as a as a layman, uh, you as a bystander, you'd have to ask yourself. But how is that the case? Um, it really is about direction. Get the regulations are so tough, and they basically have to predict where they want their car to be without knowing at the beginning of the season which direction within the very tight re- restrictions on the regulations. And it's down to interpretation. Have they adopted the right philosophy? And 
McLaren have admitted that they haven't gone the right way. They knew it right at the beginning of the year. And Williams, well, maybe we'll have to ask them. Uh, but certainly, again, let's watch this space. You're going to see McLaren come up towards the mid-season, towards the end. And Williams, everybody wants Frank Williams' old team to uh, get itself back up to the top. Though, Just seeing, I, I got suddenly had flashbacks of, you know, when it was the Rothmans car with Damon Hill. You just... Those were great days, beautiful cars, and it was great to see a British team at the top. A long way to go towards the end of the season, and it's going to ramp up in excitement. We really want to be a big part of that with you. And here at The Win, that's uh, that's the best way I can imagine to round off the Formula One season here in the United States of America, because Formula One in Las Vegas is going to be massive. I walked around this morning. I went down to the edge of the, uh, before too many of the tourists were out there and I just stood on the edge of the track, what will be the track. And I looked up and down going, I cannot believe they'll probably be doing 180 miles an hour before they hit the brakes right here in front of the wind. And I go, the tourists are going to be walking around. It is going to be a sight to behold. And Formula One's investment in Las Vegas is unprecedented. They're currently building this 20-acre paddock uh, pit complex, which is actually within walking distance from here where I'm sitting. And they, it's state-of-the-art. It's the first time Formula One have actually invested like this in the infrastructure of a Grand Prix and where they have ownership. And just think to yourself what the economics are of buying 20 acres on the Las Vegas Strip and then building it. They're probably up towards about half a billion dollars in total. And it's going to be open to the Public, I think, in between uh, the races, uh, you know, because it's going to be such the epicenter of like Formula One's activities here from the Formula One perspective. Uh, but the rest of it is, of course, down to what's happening here at the Win. The Win are one of the major partners in the Las Vegas uh, Grand Prix, and as the track winds its way around, it's three point eight miles, seventeen corners, and uh, I really urge you to follow along and see how this event comes together and I'll be on the ground helping you with that. But a word that doesn't really go with Formula One too often is uh, the Concorde d'Elegance world. Uh, it's a big thing that I'm involved with and the win, the Concorde at the win, will be taking part again this year on the Saturday before Grand Prix week. And that is November 11th. And as you can see, these beautiful images of last year's event Car Concours is the opportunity for some of the biggest collectors in the world to showcase the cars from history all the way through sometimes from the pre and post war. And I'm not talking about more recent wars, I'm talking about the Second World War and these cars that have challenged and evolved culture and pop culture and almost our automotive history. Some of them will be here. It's like a kaleidoscope of the history of the automobile and racing will all be on the golf course, again, just behind where I'm sitting on November the 11th. And I'm involved. I'm going to actually be the host of the, the MC of that event. And what a way to kick off this incredible week of racing here in Las Vegas. So it'll start with the uh, Concours at the win and then end with the Grand Prix just a few days later. So a lot going on. I hope you uh, are going to enjoy the show. I'm tremendously excited about it. Of course, Imola not happening last weekend means that we'll be back next week after the Monaco Grand Prix. But uh, we're going to kick it off with a guy that I really do think is one of the most influential men in the Formula One paddock, Zach Brown. <laughs> So as you can see, a lot of reason to not just be in Las Vegas in a few months' time, but especially here at The Win. Well, my first guest is, in my opinion, one of the most influential men in motorsports today. In fact, uh, about 12 years ago, the, one of the British newspapers said, is Zach Brown the new Bernie Eccleston? Well, he didn't go on to fill that role, but he is CEO of McLaren, uh, born in California. Uh, now known for his role with McLaren Racing, but he actually raced for 10 years as a professional driver. And as you can see, a young man with lots of aspiration, but then realized that maybe his career was better suited to the management of finding sponsors. He became literally the 
textbook of how you look for sponsorship and started JMI, JMI Marketing, which went on to be the largest, most influential motorsport marketing company in the world, which he then sold a few years later, which afforded him the privilege to buy some of the incredible cars that he had. But he had insight as a driver. He knew the business side of it and was perfectly positioned to go on for his new job at McLaren. Very excited to bring Zach Brown on the show. Zach, wonderful to have you here as my first guest. Yeah, I'm good. I uh, had a little bit of dental work done this morning, so if uh, I slur at any point, it's not because I've been drinking. Uh, but you could have been drinking because you had a weekend off. Uh, how, how did that yeah, go? Yeah, fair enough. Well, well, kind of a weekend off. Yeah, was it... I mean, that's obviously the big thing, you know, with Imola not going forward. I mean... We'll get into the logistics in a minute, but I just can't even imagine, just even on a personal level, suddenly going, wow, I've got five days. I mean, I know you're so busy that I'm sure the workload just slid in there, but did you manage to make it home and, and spend time with the family? Uh, I actually never made it out there because we made the call, I think it was on the Wednesday, and I was ah. going to go on the Thursday, uh, but the team was out there. Uh, it was obviously massively unfortunate for uh, for the for the country. Forget about the race. There's always another another race, but the uh, the floods were 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 terrible. And I'm glad we made the call uh, early. I'm not sure um, previous Formula One wouldn't have maybe waited a little bit longer. But I think the decision that we made was even if the race could go forward, which you know was very iffy. Uh, do you want all the uh, fire units, ambulances, police that help put on a race, should they really be diverted from what was way more important, which is help getting uh, the city uh, back in order. So it was actually, that's what drove the decision more so than do we think the track was going to be ready was, you know, it just didn't feel appropriate. Yeah, I mean, it was, and it came out early, as you said, that was good. But I was just thinking, your freight, your logistics, your your advanced crew—they're already there on the ground for all the teams. Oh yeah, all yeah, yeah. We, we were crazy, ready to go racing. Cars were unpacked. Hospitality was up, and uh, you know presented a little bit of a challenge tearing down because, of course, we're uh, Monaco this weekend. So uh, it's a uh, it's a circus that moves by the by the minute, by the second. And anytime you have something that disrupts that. Uh, could have been tricky, but no, everything is, uh, all systems go for uh, for Monaco. A little bit of insider information, if you can. Just give give us an idea of, of the logistics, because you see sometimes on Instagram shots of the containers, the paddock being folded up after the race. And, you know, I've been around racing long enough to know what it looks like at a normal sports car race when they pack up. But with your hospitality and everything, uh, you know, just from a logistical personnel side of things, uh, how was that? How many people are involved? How much tons of, of freight? It's um, about 125 people at a race weekend. So, uh, and everything was built. You know, the uh, uh, hospitality, which takes a couple of days to to tear down. Uh, you know, we're, we're in there usually Monday or Tuesday, uh, getting set up. You know, with this being a European race, it's all by trucks, so that made it uh, maybe a little bit easier than if we were working to a deadline to. Uh, get everything back into uh, uh, sea freights or uh, on um, freights to to get back on planes. So I think it was a, a little bit easier that it was uh, that it was Europe. Yeah. Obviously, on a personal level, for everyone in the team, I'm sure, as well as the fans. Yes, it was totally the right decision and force majeure and everything. But missing the Italian Grand Prix is one of the ones you go. The food's great. It's just the fans. The tifosi are great. What's it? I mean, you must love going to that race. It's an awesome race, and we've had a podium there the last couple of years, so it's also a track we uh, we go well at, so we're just going to imagine we had a podium. I, I totally agree with that. But, of course, on, on that subject, it, you've been widely reported in the press that, you, you know, you've got ad updates coming for, for the car, and your engineering team, must, I mean, everybody's working so hard, and I know you made many sort of personnel changes and infrastructure changes. Are you going? Monaco's not the best place to debut probably some of the stuff you were going to try, is it? No, you're going to see it kind of be uh, sprinkled in through uh, Montreal, Austria, uh, Silverstone. Uh, Monaco isn't the best place. Uh, Imola uh, would have been good. We've got some small updates, but our our, our more major stuff comes in the next uh, next couple races. So that keeps us on on track. Monaco is a bit of an outlier as a circuit. I think we should go all right there, but 
you know, we are off to a slow start this season. We knew we would be, uh, hence the changes in the offseason. You know, we had a sense uh, late last year things weren't uh, developing at the pace that we wanted to. And, you know, you tend to uh, get a gut feel for things, and then you see the results about six months later. So my gut feel was we weren't going where we needed to go uh, second half of last year. And sure enough, that proved uh, right at the start of the year. And now I would say things are feeling pretty good, really good with our, our new structure and our new people, not of which have all joined, but uh, but many have. But I think there'll be that six-month lag where, you know, however you feel today, you're going to see it in six months. Fortunately, I feel good today. So I think we'll start to see those results come in the second half of the year. That's the thing about motorsport that, I mean, there's so many new fans to it, as we know, and we talk about all that in a minute, but you and I know, and anyone that's been involved, that it is this, this roller coaster. Every team on the grid, from Ferrari to McLaren to Williams, to Mc, they, they've all had those eras, that phase, when it just, it, as you say, implementation of new technology, restructuring, it's never about the money. It's always about about just that wave, the, the, the sort of the tide rising or falling. I remember when Mika Hakkinen was having a bad year, everyone was writing him off as a driver. I'm going, he hasn't forgotten how to drive, guys. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's going to be... It's the same. McLaren hasn't forgotten how to win races. It, you, you're going to be there. You know you're going to be there. How is it for you in keeping the commercial motivation going as well as inside the team? Oh, commercially, we're doing great, but, you know, we're, we're, we're here to win, So uh, as are our partners, but they understand the journey that we're on. You know, since we got started here in 2017, we've had a, you know, a great run back to, to you know, finally winning a, a race. And then uh, last year, we had our, our challenges with our driver lineup, which was uh, well-documented, uh, so to speak, well-reported, but uh, bumbling underneath that. Uh, I, I was not happy with the uh, pace or lack of pace of, of development. Now we've got uh, a great driver lineup. So I, I think we've solved uh, that issue. And now we need a faster car. As you say, we've got close to a thousand people of which 900 of them have won races before. So they know what they're doing. And, um, you know, we're behind on our technology infrastructure investments. We're now getting caught up. Things like our wind tunnel, our new manufacturing unit, our uh, simulator are all coming online the second half of this year. Uh, we've got Andrea Stella, who I'm very impressed with running the team, and some new recruits, which will, you know, bring some added dimensions to our, our thinking. And, and then our, our infrastructure all coming online. So it is all kind of coming together at the end of the year. We're already working on the 24 car, so I wouldn't say we're at full fighting strength for a 24 car because that's starting to happen uh, now. But come 25, I think we'll have everything in place. So I'd like to think we can get back to a 21-type season next year, five podiums, a win, a pull. You know, we were running at the front. And then 25, I think, uh, we take another step forward. We should uh, hopefully be winning races. And once you're winning races... You're in with a shout at competing for the championship, and 26 is a, is a reset. So uh, three years feels like a long way away, but when you kind of look at the path to get there, it's actually going to move quite quick. And I think as long as we are progressing through that journey, everyone will be uh, happy and uh, right along with us. Yeah, I mean, especially as a driver, because, you know, I was thinking, talking to some people this weekend about Formula One drivers, and as though they were describing 40-year-old seasoned veterans, I'm going, you're talking about 21-year-old kids. You know, I mean, they, they 10 years ago is nothing to you and I. 10 years ago to them, you know, they were in middle school. And you think about 2025 for them, that's a long way off to a Lando or an Oscar. Do you, does your role sometimes have to be, it's team manager, you know, your overall CEO, but... With all your experience, uh, father figure too, giving them the confidence, showing them the the plan, laying laying it out for them. Because I imagine that they yeah they want to win, it's right? A, it's a bit yeah, one hundred percent. You know, it's kind of a bit of everything. I think Oscar's at a at a stage where um, you know he's a rookie, so he, he's got a lot of time on his side, and you know, quite quite patient from that standpoint. Lando would be winning races and competing for the championship in a championship caliber car. He knows that. We know that. I think the world knows that. But he signed up for uh, this journey and, and you know, McLaren's family for him. And I think it will be so much sweeter 
to win in a McLaren uh, because he'll know what contribution he made towards that versus maybe getting into a uh, a race winning car today now that being said if we're not on a path to giving him a race winning car i wouldn't expect him to stick around forever but uh, he signed through 25 and and uh, we're all frustrated with the start of the year but we're all working together to power through it and i think that uh, you know it's kind of like indycar we didn't qualify at indianapolis in 2019 and you know here we were at the weekend the most competitive yeah. A four car effort and that feels that much more rewarding than if we just walked into a, a front running effort so i think there's an element of um we want to do this together and be along for the ride together and i think it'll, it'll the uh, the milk so to speak will uh, taste greater if we can uh, we can pull this off together yeah that's a good way of putting it. and i imagine that like for your formula one drivers i wonder what they they think about your American, you know, the American side of things. I mean, four cars in the top eight, nine at Indies for qualifying. I mean, it's a pretty dominant showing. And as as I heard you say on a, on a podcast yesterday, I mean, there are a lot of cars. There's another 10 cars that can win it. But for you, I mean, knowing Indies going on, it must be, it must make them feel, you said the word McLaren family and way back when, you know, you know, dad was involved with McLaren, every, you know, back in the day, McLaren felt like a family and it does now. But boy, it's a big difference for when, uh, you know, your predecessor, the Ron Dennis era, when you couldn't even walk, cut a corner or walk across the grass. I mean, it, he, I was just thinking this morning, in this era of social media transparency, everything's laid out there. I mean, I mean, he's not in his grave, but I'm sure he'd turn in it if he was, right? I mean, this is, <laughs> this is so, what a different world you have to deal with. It's wide open, laid out. Yeah, it's a, you know, I think uh, motor racing and sports, you know, all the different eras are, are, are awesome and it's hard to compare them. But we are in a, in a digital age. We are in an era of total transparency. We're in an age of total visibility. And uh, I, I like it. You know, I, I like sharing with the fans. I remember uh, growing up. Uh, you know, I'm still a huge fan of, of motor racing, might be the biggest fan in the world of motor racing. Uh, and, and, I, and I love it. And I feel like part of my job is to uh, share uh, this wonderful sport and, and McLaren with our fans around the world. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way of putting it because you are a fan. I, I mean, I see you, I see you in historic racing cars, you know, some of your collection in a race suit attracts sort of all, especially here in North America. The, the revival and you know in Europe, you love it. You never lost that. You raced for all those years. Um, I think that's an important ingredient in the paddock. And actually, Jeremiah, my producer, just said before you we went on, he said, I wonder if um, you know, does every person in charge of a Formula One team have a racing pedigree? And I said, you know what? Not as many as you think. Do you think that that stands you in good stead uh in all areas of the sport? I, I think it does. I think it um Gives you some uh, street credibility, if you'd like, with your with your racing team, um, with with the drivers. Uh, I think that's one of the areas that uh, I've got a great working relationship with the drivers, and I golf with them, and we do simulator, and we drive some historic cars. So I've got a really good relationship with them, and I think I've been around racing long enough to know what a a good team looks like and a bad team looks like, and you know, how to, I've seen drivers mishandled and handled properly. And so just over that 30 years of experience, I've been around racing like you have, you end up just kind of picking up what a, a successful racing team looks like. I'm not very technical. So most of the other team bosses come from a bit more of an engineering type background. And I'm one of the few uh, racers. Um, and I think it does, I think it does help. Of course, when we see you in social media or the news more, it's so much of it is a side of the job that you knew you were taking on, but you are CEO of a massive, you know, billion dollar enterprise with thousands of employees. The politics of the sport, we hear the edge of it. And, uh, you know, when I saw you at the Peterson about a month ago, uh, you know, you talked about it. The politics of the sport, do you think it's just because it's big business or is it Formula One in particular? Because you do have regulations that affect outcome of, of races, of, of careers. Uh, first of all, did you have any clue that it was going to be this much of a political workload? I mean, sustainability reports, those are words you wouldn't have known five years ago. Yeah, it's a, it's a very political sport. Um, 
Formula One more so than than any other. I think it's because it's big business and you're trying to get a competitive advantage everywhere. Uh, I think it can go too far at at, at times. You know, I, I kind of look at uh, IndyCar racing and it's kind of one big happy family, which I think is also to the extreme. You know, we are trying to kind of beat each other on track, but Formula One is is pretty brutal and, and at times I think too brutal, but that's how the game is played. I remember Martin Brundle, you know, my previous life when I had my sports marketing agency, I worked with all the teams, so I was a bit uh, Switzerland. And I remember Martin Brundle, who's a good buddy, uh, coming up to me at uh, Spa in first year, and he said, I got one piece of advice for you. And I won't use the word that he used, <laughs> but uh, he said, you're going to need to learn how to be a real prick. Really? And um, yeah, and uh, that, that stuck with me. And I was like, well, I'd rather be kind of a lover than a fighter. Can't we all get along? And then I quickly realized that that I'm, I'm in the minority. So you got to play the game the way the game is is played, which is pretty brutal at times. Well, it's obviously Monaco this weekend, you know, wish you huge luck there, but I'm sitting here at the win in Las Vegas. Got a couple of McLarens in the in the showroom right next to me. I know you have a big relationship here with the win. You've got, you know, a lot of activation on the ground come come the end of the year for the 22nd round of the championship. Um Formula 1 in America. You're an American California kid. Three races in your home country. That was never on the cards when you when you were growing up and starting to race. It was a dream just to have one. Uh we know why it's taken off. Obviously, you would drive to survive, but just talk about that momentum, the economic momentum, the, the what it means for you as McLaren, especially breaking into, into America. Yeah, I'm uh, pleasantly surprised, shocked at how big Formula One now is in America. It's awesome. It, you know, it all started with uh, Coda, Austin, who built a, a phenomenal, uh, you know, proper Formula One circuit. So that kind of put us on the map and then Drive to Survive. Now we have a new TV contract. Then we had Miami. Now we're going to have Vegas, which is going to be, I think, the biggest sporting event in the world next year, or this year, I should say. I can't think of anything that's going to be uh, bigger. And so here we are with three Grand Prix. Got a couple, you know, one north, one south in, in Canada and Mexico, and then Brazil not too far away. So if I look at America's Formula One is just unbelievably strong. And I feel like we're just getting started because as popular as it is, we haven't had Las Vegas yet. And the TV contract's only four or five races old. So I think we have a, a lot of runway for, for further growth. And I couldn't be more excited because U.S. is you know the most mature sports market in the world. And to have Formula One now be a major sport in America, I never thought I would see that. I'd hoped for it. I think we all did. But it is here and it's real. Yeah, and of course, by the time, being optimistic, by the time you get here, you should be showing a lot more promise on track. I mean, I think you're going to be able, as street circuits do suit you, it seems, as well in certain situations. So, I mean, I walked out this morning early to go for a walk around, I mean, before many people are up, and I'm going, this is the track. I mean, I'm standing on the That's edge of the track. It kind of, you know, we're used to, I mean, do you remember Birmingham Grand Prix? And we've all driven in places that you never thought you were going to have a track. But standing here on the strip, I'm like, this is this is going to be spectacular. And obviously, I know that all the drivers are going to be wanting, everyone's going to be activating in every way. Uh, meanwhile, Vegas is going to be run, carrying on, Zach. They're not shutting Vegas for business, you know. Vegas is no, Vegas. No, I'm waiting to see what driver makes the uh, the newspapers first. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> um, well, listen, uh, I just saw this morning Lando revealing your new triple crown, his livery from Monaco. That was cool. Again, an example of transparency. Straight away, you've got the your top driver, you know, revealing the colors. Uh, that I mean, that was just a seeing in the background. The you know, I remember the McLaren GTR. It overtook me at three in the morning, so I, I remember that with JJ. And but to see the three cars having won the three biggest races, Indy obviously, and, and Le Mans, and there you have them behind your new livery. You love that connection to to the past, I guess. I love I love our history, and those are the uh, three coolest races in the world. And uh, we're fortunate to have, uh, have have won them. So, you know, at Indianapolis, where we're running four cars, we put three in those liveries. So a nod to Le Mans, Pato's in that car, a nod to Monaco, and the, the iconic livery there with Felix, and then Al Alex Rossi driving the uh, 1974 Johnny Rutherford uh, Papaya 
winner and then for Monaco kind of bringing all of that together through design and coloration and the, and the fans have absolutely responded. And, you know, we're in the sport and entertainment business and, uh, Fans love to see that stuff, celebrate the past, tell the stories. And, uh, you know, with all the new fans Formula One has, gives us a chance to, to kind of tell them about the McLaren history. Yeah, connect the dots. Hey, Zach, thanks so much. You Guess what? This is your first pole position of the year, your pole position on Drive to Win. You were you were my first choice and my first guest. So thanks a lot, mate. Awesome. And thanks for your Glad support. Glad to be here. And we'll see you in, well, it'll come around very quickly. See you at the end of the year. No doubt. See you later. See you, mate. Well, my next guest certainly knows his way around Formula One, especially the halls of McLaren, because he was there in the good old days, as they say. Stefan Johansson, uh, he raced for McLaren and Ferrari, uh, 103 Grand Prix with 12 podiums. And as all of you fans of modern-day Formula One know, that is a really tough thing to achieve. Uh, he also won the Sebring 12 Hours and the famous 24 Hours of Le Mans. He's now better known as one of the top driver managers in the business. And in fact, Scott Dixon, uh, who's the eight or six-time IndyCar champion, is one of his top clients, as well as uh, Felix Rosenquist, who's on the grid at Indy in the top uh, 10 this year, going for the Indy 500. So, Stefan, welcome to the show. Uh, your resume is you. so long, mate. Um, that's why you look so young. <laughs> <laughs> It's true, right? It's speed There's no time to rest. No time to rest. No time to rest. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, this is the Thank first you. show. I know you and I go back a long way and are great mates. And, uh, you know, yes. we were just joking before we got on air that, you know, you're you're not just a driver manager now. You're one of probably the world's top automotive artists. And uh, the next time we have you on the show, you've got to show us some of your, your paintings. Uh, so definitely anyone Thank watching, he head over to, to Stefan's website and check it out. But you're a man that knows not having the Italian Grand Prix. I mean, it was for all the right reasons, but the emotions of the, the, the fans, the, the teams, every driver, every mechanic, every sponsor, every girlfriend and wife, they all want to go to the Italian Grand Prix, don't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, Italy is really one of the foundation homes, I guess, for Formula One, you know. I mean, it's been around, Monza is one, if not the oldest track on the calendar now, I think, yeah. and Imola obviously is not not far behind, you know. But it's it's the passion and the you know it's just uh, it's it's always great for a driver to race in Italy, and especially if you're a Ferrari driver, it's it's uh, it takes it to a whole other level, you know. Did you remember even now the first day you put on a red race suit in Italy? You, you must be elevate, you like walk on water and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, so weirdly, so Imola was actually my second race for Ferrari. Oh. You know, I, I jumped, I, I sort of called in last minute for the Portuguese Grand Prix, which was the two weeks earlier, and then Imola was the next one. And I almost won the race. I ran out of fuel on the last lap leading the race. And I'll never forget when I passed Elio De Angelis, which was one of my very closest friend, in fact, uh, for the lead with about five, six laps to go. I literally could not hear the engine from the noise of the crowd. It was wow. just, it was an incredible feeling, you know, oh, unbelievable sensation, yeah. And one of those moments that you never lost sleep over, I'm sure, for years afterwards, right? So close. <laughs> I mean, that was like the fairy tale <laughs> yeah. story. Oh, God, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it is what it is. But, it's what it yeah, is. of course. Well, not, not bad after that anyway. It all went pretty well. Yeah. You probably have the, the most, before we talk about Monaco this weekend, you probably have one of those unique perspectives on having experienced what it was like to be a driver at, at you know, the hey, one of the heydays of Formula One, as well as managing drivers now. How have the demands changed? Because obviously, most of the people watching this podcast, most of the new American fans of Formula One do so from the Drive to Survive era, but you literally came from the Drive to Survive era. Um, tell us a bit about that, because, you know, impending death was a part of the scene, unfortunately, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was certainly different from what it is today. Or, but thankfully, thank God, I thank kind God, of really. yeah. I, I didn't come in. I missed the worst era, which was kind of the decade before I came into Formula One, the the sixties and and the seventies as well, when it was really bad. But I mean, was I'd lost 
I guess, four or five really close friends during, you know, my period in, in, in that time. So it was still, you know, I mean, there were certain races where you kind of weren't sure whether you were going <laughs> to come home after the weekend or not, you know, because just the nature of the tracks and the way the cars were back then, you know, so it, it was certainly a bit different than it is today. I mean, thankfully, obviously, you see some of these shunts they have now and you walk, you go, you know, mm. just uh, as someone like you that's experienced being inside the cockpit, you go to yourself, yeah. oh, they're not walking away. The next thing is they're up yeah, waving I mean, at the crowd. It's extraordinary now the, how far they've come on, on the safety aspect, both on the cars and the tracks also, more, maybe as much on the tracks as, as on the car safety. Uh, you, I mean, you got to be really, really unlucky and it has to be it's kind of a, a freak accident almost to to get hurt in an F1 car today. Yeah, well, which that, is great. I mean, that's, that's you know, it's it's that's the way it should be, of course. Yeah. Well, on the, I said all the wives and girlfriends wanted to and team members wanted to go to Italy, but they also want to go to Monaco. Monaco is just, when there was rumours they might not renew the contract there, but you know, a few years ago, the world just couldn't believe it. I mean, how, how do you not go to Monaco? How do you relate to it? it the incredible importance of having this unique race that, to be honest, wouldn't be authorized from, from scratch now, would it? No, no, never in a million years. I mean, they, you know, they they kind of live and survive on their reputation, I think, more than anything. But having said that, I mean, it's still probably the most important race on the calendar uh, in terms of, you know, just the commercial side of it. The sponsors love it, obviously, and a lot of the entertaining that really makes up the activation program for for the sponsors and the the stakeholders in the series is that's it all happens in Monaco. So um, you know, never mind being a competitor. That's a whole different story. I mean, it's a. I think it's a lot better now than it were when we were doing it because it was a just a giant nightmare the whole week. <laughs> really, <laughs> you know, the logistics and and just getting around and and the. The garages were like half a mile away from the pits. You know, it was uh, it was quite a quite an ordeal that whole weekend. But um, but the track is amazing. It's it's probably one of the more difficult tracks on the calendar to, to, even to this day. And as we know, qualifying is everything there. I mean, if you know, you basically, unless there's a screw up of some sort, either by yourself or, or the team in the pit stops. You pretty much finish where you where you qualify, so it's crucial to be up front and qualify. And the track, the demands of the track, probably has changed less almost than any other track on the calendar. Really, I mean, mm. the, everything is just as tight. They got one DRS zone, I think. I mean, it's it's which they trigger two corners before, which is quite unique as well. If you if you see that little map, I don't know if you can, but so two corners before they trigger it. Um, Talk us through a little bit about driving Monaco because it must stick in your mind even to this day, having to avoid the potholes, manhole covers, and stuff. What was it? Is it as vibrant? Could you could you actually drive a lap now in your mind? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, it's like you said, the track is probably one of the few that really hasn't changed since they put the the chicane in, you know, at, at the harbour or tightened the chicane, I should mm. say, because there was a chicane, but it was just a blip and a downshift and then full throttle through again. But now it's obviously a very tight corner. But apart from that, it's pretty much all the same. And it is it is a incredibly difficult track to be precise. And the precision, if you add it up over the whole lap, makes a huge difference on the lap time. Yeah. So, is you it- know, if you're literally an inch off on some of the, you know, like the flip flap, you know, through the yeah. harbor and all that. The, the, it 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 just makes a huge difference on the lap time. So it it is a very very tricky place yeah. to to get everything out of the, the the to unlock the track and to get most out of the car and yourself, obviously. So looking to the weekend, who do you like for qualifying? Because obviously, Leclerc is shown in the Ferrari. He can he's the cars is probably faster than anyone over one lap. But what about? As drivers, we see Perez brilliant on street circuits. Do you think we always talk, I mean, the commentators often talk about some drivers suit street tracks. Do some drivers particularly suit Monaco, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. There are some some drivers that seem to excel on these types of circuit. 
Um, I personally actually used to love the street circuits too because mm. there's absolutely no margin for error. So you got to be super precise, smooth, consistent, you know, and and uh, and uh, yeah. So you know, it's just it's you know, like every track, every car has a different preference for drivers, of course. But uh, I suspect it'll be a Red Bull up front. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if there isn't. I mean, that's what you you just. I was just thinking about it earlier. You've got. You know, I mean, I'd love to think the Ferrari with Leclerc could be on pole. I think you could see that. But the Red Bulls mm-hmm. will go by somewhere, right? If Ferrari don't step on their own doodah and, and Yeah, you know. well, I mean, if, if Leclerc can get pole and lead off the line, I think that may be their best chance this year to actually win a race. Because yeah. I said, I mean, you can, I mean, we've seen so many races there where, where the, the driver behind is literally seconds faster yeah. but you just can't get by no. you just cannot get by the only the only time really you can pass anyone there is on the first lap maybe second lap and it'll be a total surprise moment you know where you just go you just send it and hope you're not yeah. hitting anyone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know and that, that's it and it'll be the surprise so they'll literally would just have to you know open up and not turn because you're there already you know yeah. But you can only do that on lap one or two. The, for the rest of the race, forget it. There's there's no chance of that. No qualifying, and I think they're talking about it might even be rain. Um, and did you ever drive Monaco in the rain? I can't even imagine. Yeah. It. yeah. Well, that that tends to shake things up a little bit, of course. But but even so, you know, the, the, it's it's so di- in the Monaco track. The problem is there isn't like one straight that's just straight. Yeah, because it's it's turning all the time. The pit straight is is constantly turning. So there's really there's really no obvious place where you, even with DRS where you can just outbreak someone. Yeah, I just had a thought. Do you think they have as much fun as you did, drivers these days, with social um, media? Yeah, I think they are. I think now, they do. They? From what from what I hear, <laughs> I think they do. <laughs> That's that's code for a lot of fun, everybody. Uh, no, yeah, no, I think you know, racing drivers. I mean, we're all free spirits, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody's different. There's no fixed character, or you know, everybody's doing their own thing. But uh, you know, it's. I mean, being a racing driver is a good life. Obviously, you live in the yeah. boyhood dream, you know. And I'd be if they're not having a good time, then I think there's something wrong with them. It shouldn't be there, right? But um, yeah. talking about someone that's be there, um, before I let you go, you're a guy that had his Formula One career and then an amazingly successful sports car career backing it up. How much do you enjoy seeing Alonso just like, you know, when, when, the, when, uh, when you get a young puppy to go alongside the older dog, suddenly the dog starts running around again. Alonso looks as though every minute of every Grand Prix weekend is having a blast and the results are there. Did, Especially someone in your in your position, do you look at it and go, "Good on him," because he it's bloody brilliant. No, it's it's great, you know. But I think I think Formula One in particular has had this. It always happens, you know, from time to time when you get a unicorn like Lewis, for example, mm-hmm. when he came along. You know, he's very young and he was brilliant right out of the box. Uh, now you got Max doing exactly the same, even even younger, and you know. I mean, with enormous amount of talent. So, of course, all the teamers, I think, oh, we got to find the next 18-year-old, you know, because yeah. it doesn't happen that way. So, I mean, so in Alonso's case, who's been fantastic since he started, I don't think that goes away necessarily as long as you're motivated and you're fit and, and you know, the hunger. And, I mean, I know from my own point of view, and I mean, you know, the, the motivation if you're in the top three on the time shot, you get very motivated yeah. <laughs> very quickly, you know. So, I mean, that's never really a problem, I don't think, you know. And I, I'm, I'm really pleased for him, you know. And I think I'm pleased for Lawrence, who's an old friend, and, and Lance and, and the whole team, you know, that they're, they're doing so well now. It's it's fantastic. Are you, um, you're obviously going to be an indie this weekend? Right? Yeah, with the uh, two boys right up, right I up there. I missed Monaco for the last twenty years now. I think so, you know since I was mm-hmm. been involved with Scott and then Felix, of course. Yeah. India, south of France, Monaco, Indiana. I'm not sure. It's a tough yeah, call. I, I, you know, that's it. You don't get paid to go to Monaco, <laughs> so, <laughs> so you go to Indy. Um, yeah, yeah. And obviously, look, look what's happening here. I mean, I talked about it with Zach a minute ago. Just this 
extraordinary emergence of Formula One, resurgence of Formula One here. Um, we're here at the win in Vegas, ready for, mm. you know, in the build-up to, to the big race at the end of the year. You're going to have to be here, right? I mean, I think it's going to be an epic happening. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's the obvious place for America to have a Grand Prix, obviously, and I think it's just going to be amazing, you know, in every aspect of it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, I, th I hope the track will be a great track and the racing will be good as well. Then it will be kind of like the icing on the cake. Perfect. Well, mate, listen, I hope we'll get you on the show again. Always, always fun yeah. talking to you. Let's get together soon. Good luck to your guys this weekend and, and thanks for Thank being you. a part of the first episode. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. I always learn something when I talk to Stefan. Uh, imagine having raced in Formula One, won some big races, as well as managing current day drivers. Talk about transcending and connecting the dots. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for joining me for the first episode of Drive to Win. Uh, this show means a lot to me for so many reasons, but as much as anything, it's about bringing the stories, connecting with this incredible sport that I'm so passionate about, and bringing it to you guys who are sitting at home and hopefully wanting to be even closer to the action. Now, obviously, as I said, the Formula One, the thread to the series is going to be one of the main uh, story arcs, but it's also about how Formula One is evolving here in Las Vegas. As I mentioned, I'm here on the spot in a unique position to literally walk outside, and we'll be doing that, going and getting some video of how the paddock's coming together, what it's like. I mean, I think it'll be very exciting to see how they transition the streets of Las Vegas, which right now look pretty bumpy, into a Formula One-grade circuit. So November 11th is the Concord. The website for the Concord will be going up over the next few days. That's lasvegasconcord.com. But don't forget, Las, the win Las Vegas is the epicenter of all the action that week into the Formula One. So forgive me if I just read this because my memory is not so good, but it's winlasvegas.com slash experiences slash F1. So Go and check that out, and it'll give you all the latest on the packages, how you can get here, be a part of the action. And you don't need a special pass to walk through the win and see the incredible cars. I mean, I can't tell you yet, but some of the pop-ups that are happening, some of the top drivers in the world uh, are bringing their best game here, and it's all going to be happening within the four walls of the win. Uh, so make sure, stay in touch. Uh, stay in touch on social media. If there's a storyline you want me to dig into, if there's a driver, believe me, I'm going to be trying to get to all the drivers. I think when the word gets out, maybe more of them will come on board, but I've got some really big guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. You should watch Monaco this weekend so we can talk about it next week. Thanks very much. Justin Bell here with Drive to Win from the Win Las Vegas. <laughs>